Welcome to United Against Silence. I'm Seema Reza, the CEO of Community Building Artworks, a nonprofit organization that connects veterans, healthcare workers, and civilians through workshops led by the artists of our time. Each week, we interview an artist to find out about their process and how they've overcome silence in their lives. Courtney LeBlanc is the author of the full-length collections, Exquisite Bloody Beating Heart, Right in Your Throat, and Beautiful and Full of Monsters from Vegetarian Alcoholic Press. She's also the founder and editor-in-chief of Riot in Your Throat, an independent poetry press. She loves nail polish, tattoos, and a soy latte each morning. Read her publications on her blog, www.wordperv.com, and follow her on Twitter at WordPerv and IG at WordPerv79. Um, we hope you'll enjoy this conversation. Welcome, Courtney. How are you? I'm okay. How are you? <laughs> I'm okay. I'm okay. I know that um, you've had a lot of stuff going on. You just started a brand new press, Riot in Your Throat, this year. Was it in, in January? Yes, that was the official. I had a soft launch in December, official launch in January. And of course, put out a new book this year, the very, very, very beautiful, exquisite, bloody, beating heart. Um, and also like have been a part of the United Against Silence Collective and our community here at CBW in this really regular way since the moment we moved online. You were one of our first facilitators and your workshop about the sort of nuts and bolts of how to submit writing, which you've done for us twice, has been super, super popular. And of course, we're so lucky to have one of your poems in We Were Not Alone, the upcoming anthology. Um, and I'm super grateful to have you here today from your couch there. Um, as you're recovering from this, this injury or the surgery because of an injury. Um, yes. And, you know, I, I think we often think about poets on the page and we have this opportunity in this day and age, opportunity slash challenge that we get to know people in other ways, like even if you and I didn't both live in the DC metro area and hadn't met, um, we have Instagram, we have Twitter, we have like all of these ways to know a person's life outside of their writing, um, which is a tricky, weird space. But one thing that I have known about you is that you are like really, really, really active, um, right? You like, you hike with your dogs and you are out in the world working out. Um, is that part of your writing practice? Um, yes and no, um, in part because it's such a part of who I am that I don't think I can separate it from me as a writer. Um, but I find that it helps clear my mind and give me a sense of peace. And particularly during the pandemic, um, especially in the early months when you know we were all really afraid and no, no one was vaccinated, um, getting outside and being on the trails with my dogs really allowed me um, some peace and peace of mind and help me stay sane, which also helps my writing. Um, and I write a little bit about nature, but not explicitly about nature, but I think it comes in in other ways um, and, and influences me, so. Yeah. Um, and do you, do, do like poems come to you during the, as you're, as you're out there in the world? 
Uh, they do sometimes. I always have my phone with me when I'm hiking just because, you know, I've gotten lost before. So it's good to, it's, it's good to be smart. And uh, I have had to stop and like jot down notes um, or lines or whatever, and then come back to them later. I don't think I've ever written a whole poem while, while hiking, but I've definitely had lines come to me that I want to work with that keep, you know, like repeating in my head. And so I'm like, okay, that's something is there. Um, and then, and then I go from there. Yeah, and this like idea of the of the artist's walk or the poet's walk, the writer's walk is like, you know, it's a it's a pretty, pretty old tradition yeah. um, to clear one's head with some movement. Um, but I wondered if you have any other other rituals, because you're um, you know, you're one of the most widely published and prolific writers on my Instagram feed. Like you've always got work coming out, you're always writing new work. Um how do you, and you have a full-time job and you have, you know, like two dogs and, you know, like all of this stuff happening in your, in your personal life. And I was just wondering if there are any rituals that help you move from like one hat to the next, um, when it comes into poetry. Yeah, there, there can be. I mean, my schedule is a little off right now because I am dealing with this injury and I have limited mobile, limited mobility. Um, but often for me, mornings are really a good time to focus myself and work on writing. I'm a morning person. My partner isn't. So he's in bed sleeping. I have a quiet house. You know, I take the dogs for their morning walk and then it's just me and my coffee and I can sit down and I can write or I can work on some editing or I can just maybe read some poems, um, you know, so that helps me find time uh, in, in an otherwise very busy, you know, daily life. And I also, I don't watch television really at all. I have watched some right now because I am injured, um, but normally I don't watch any television. And so I spend a lot of time with words, whether that's reading or writing. And for me, I think that really helps fuel my creative side. Um, you know, there's that saying, you have to be surround, surround yourself with good sentences. Mm. And I think that that's true. Even if you're not reading poetry, like I read a lot of novels, um, I guess that's my, you know, form of entertainment and a good novel can just really take you away. And so for me, that sort of helps, I think, fuel my creativity because I always have words around me. Mm. Um, I have a couple of questions from that. One is, uh, what novel, what's, what are you reading right now? Or what do you recommend? What's, I just read, uh, Four Winds by... Kristen Hannah, Hannah Kristen, Kristen Hannah. I'm gonna mess mm -hmm. her up. She's got two first names. Um, it's an it's a fiction novel about the Great Depression and Dust Bowl. It's very good, very interesting. Um, I just read a book of poetry called Wild Things by Elizabeth Johnston Ambrose. That was really good. That one talks a lot about women, both um, real and imagined, like the um, mythological women, Medusa and Eve, and sort of changes their stories and, and lets them take back a little bit of their stories, which I thought was really interesting and, and something that I really like seeing in, in writing. Yes. And speaking of seeing things in writing, when I listed out the many things you do and asked how you have time to write, I didn't even list that you, of course, are a publisher. Um, <laughs> which is a whole other like it's a whole set of things that you're learning and are learned and are doing mm -hmm. um and then you're also seeing this other side of the house you know as a published yes. author 
who has submitted your work and have been, you know, getting your work out there now to be sort of sitting on the other side of the desk and receiving manuscripts and going yeah. over them. Um, can you talk about how that might have affected your writing process, publishing process, like your own personal career? Yes. It's, yeah. it's been such a wild ride. Um, you know, the first year is so much about learning and figuring it out um, and learning. Thankfully, I learned very quick the things that I can do myself and the things that I should just pay someone else to do, um, <laughs> you know, because there are things I'm good at. And then there are things that I don't have any idea how to do, um, like interior book design. It's a whole thing with its own software. And I tried messing with it with the first book. And then I just gave up and hired someone and she does all my books now. And she's amazing. Um, but for me, my, so we're getting ready to do open submissions again in November. So if anybody has a full length out there that they're trying to find a home, check out our website in November um, or check it out now and send it in in November. Tell us, tell us what the website is. It's riotinyourthroat.com. So it's very easy. Um, but I'm almost like a kid in a candy store or no, a kid waiting for Christmas because mm -hmm. I can't wait to see what we're going to get and what's going to come in. Um, and it's really, I want, I like poetry that takes chances and, you know, is in your face sometimes, but not always. Um, you know, it's hard to articulate what, what you like in poems because all of these words are so, Nothing like people are like, oh, this poem is so raw. Well, what does that mean? And also right. most people spend a lot of time editing their poems. So while you may feel raw, it's actually not a raw poem. Like I spent hours working on that thing. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like that's the public service announcement. <laughs> yeah. And it's meant as a compliment and I take it as a compliment. Um, but I don't love that word when it comes to poetry. Um, you know, so it's, you know, poems that take chances, poems that talk about topics that are hard, poems that just like basically punch you in the face. And I don't, all of it is subjective. So the best thing I can say for people is, you know, read some of the books we've published. And if you think you're a good fit, send it in because every publisher and every person reading it is going to have a different take on it. Um, but it is, it is so exciting when they start coming in, it's hard for me to focus on my real day job. Um, because I just want to sit with these poems and, and read them. And, you know, it's, it's exciting. It's, I love it. And so you're receiving full manuscripts. Correct. Mm -hmm. um, Correct. And reading full manuscripts and assessing the collection as a whole, not as like, oh, I like these three poems. Right. Maybe, you know, it's sort of like, how do they, how do they sit together? Um, which is such an interesting thing to, you know, to digest, like to sit with one person's voice for a yes. whole collection. Yeah. Um, and it's really nice. Um, the, the books we've published this year, each, each collection has a bit of an arc. Um, and so it's so wonderful to see that arc as you're reading. And for me personally, it's something that really draws me in. And with, with each of the books, the first read, I, like it, I, my breath got caught each time. And I was like, oh, oh, and that's for me, like, that's how I know it's good. And I'm, I'm interested. And, you know, it, 
it can be a situation where I, for me, generally very quickly, I can determine if I'm interested in a manuscript or not. Most of us know within the first five poems, because if they haven't caught you within the first five poems, it's not, it's not going to work because, and even if the rest of the manuscript is amazing, like that's your, that's your first impression right there. And it's, you got to suck the reader in. And so I use that as kind of a, you know, my first initial take, like, am I sucked in immediately? And do I want to keep reading? Then yes. And if not, then I'll skim a little bit. And if I'm not pulled in, and and if I don't want to go back and and read again, you know, then I know it's just not for me. And that's okay. It's just not the right fit for me. I'm not the right publisher for them. And I want to be able to champion these books and scream them from the rooftops. So I want to really love them. And I, the ones I've published, I've been rather obsessed with. That's so great. And what a great, like, great point. I think especially as we get older and realize, like, we're not reading for school, right? We're reading because, you know, just even as just like recreationally reading, um, it's like the author's responsibility to make me read this thing. Yeah. And, and if they're not, like, I have, I have, you know, really just started just being like, nope, it's like, I don't feel like reading this. Why would I force myself? There's so much stuff I want to read. Same. Um, I used to, I used to really feel like I needed to finish it if I started it. And years ago, I finally realized that no, life is too short for bad books. And if I'm not interested, that's fine. It's, it's okay to walk away from a book. And there's, there's just so many, I mean, there's so many bad books out there, but there's so many amazing books. So many amazing books. Um, how does, how does the, like, So you submit your work on a really regular basis. And part of that, the publishing process, Lord, don't I know it, is rejection, right? Like part of the process, I think more than in most jobs, right? Yes, yes. If you've ever had coworkers, you know that people who are shitty don't get fired. So (laughs) there's a lot less rejection in the office than there is in the, in the writing space, do you have any practices around that, that like, show up or you get a bad one, big one? I, I don't so much anymore, but I, I think it's because I've been doing it for so long. The rejections don't bother me. I mean, it's been a really long time since I got a shitty rejection. Most of them, you know, most editors and publishers of whether they're doing books or journals or whatever, they're writers too. And so they're usually kind and gentle or generic in their rejections. And those I don't mind at all. I mean, I did get a really weird rejection the other day that basically said, you're amazing. And we probably just have bad taste, but we've decided to pass. And I was like, I'm so confused by this rejection. (laughs) I mean, I think it was meant to be kind and to say like, there's somebody out there. We're just not it. And that's fine. They just worded it in a really. We probably have bad taste is the funniest rejection. Can you imagine like. Reject like a a date that way. Just being like, listen, I probably have bad taste. I I mean, maybe it would save time in the dating world. I know plenty of people are frustrated by, you know, dating and dating apps. So maybe it would be better if people just said that. You said that because like, okay, we can agree that I'm wrong. And yet we're not doing this. (laughs) Yeah. 
So for me, it's more just, you know, we all get rejections and as long as they're not mean. And again, most of them aren't because most of these people are writers too. Then I just, okay. I mark it as rejected on my little, on my ginormous Excel spreadsheet and I move on and I celebrate the acceptances because, you know, even though I'm, I have two full length books out there, getting a new, getting one poem accepted by a journal, it still brings me joy. I'm still excited about it. So I celebrate that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like, right. Like if it, when, when the sort of joy of it goes away, Lord knows we're not doing this for money. Um, <laughs> you know, like when the joy of it goes away, you know, then maybe, yeah, maybe it's, it's not the thing maybe you shouldn't be submitting, right? Yeah. Like, you reevaluate it and decide, is this what I want to do? Because I still get excited about every single poem. So, you know. Are you working on any, any particular, like, do you have a project that's happening for you right now or? Um, I have a couple of um, shorter projects. So I have a chat book of poems that I'm looking for a home that are mostly about my dad and my dad dying um, and sort of my relationship with him. We were very close. Um, and while his death wasn't unexpected, it was still, it's always faster than you think it's going to be, you know? And um, so I have a, a short collection of that, of poems about my dad. And then I have a micro chap. So it's like 15 poems all about Amy Winehouse. Um, I got on this, like, I love her. I, I think she's amazing. And I got on this, I started, I wrote one poem about her and then it just like opened the floodgates. Um, and I find her very fascinating and very tragic. Um, and so I wrote this, what ended up being a micro chap of poems. I don't really know what to do with it. Um, I've submitted it somewhere to see like if they're interested. So we'll see, but it's just an unusual little collection of poems and we'll see what, we'll see what happens with it. Um, Right now, though, mostly focusing the press stuff because we have a new book coming out on November 1st. Um, and then November 1st, our submissions also open. So I'm sort of gearing up for that and um, knowing that that's going to take a lot of my energy soon. So, yeah, these poems, I love I love the, the first the idea of a micro chap, like that you don't have to write more than you need to about a particular topic and that it is this sort of like pop culture icon that just sort of um, grabbed your attention and that you allowed it to, right? Like that you listen yeah. to it. I think so often there's stuff that like I'll get obsessed with and be like, mm, how does that fit? Right. Like, And it's cool to have just like, oh, it's its own project and that's all right. Um, yeah. And the other thing that I, I, I wanted to say is that like, you know, right, you've been writing with us weekly and um, those poems about your father and your grief and your love, um, you know, I think maybe we've seen early, we've heard oh, early editions <laughs> of many of these poems and they are stunning. Um, I can't wait, I can't wait for them to find, find a place to live. Um, because I think, I mean, when my father died, I remember my mother and I were just like, this feels like it could not possibly have ever happened to anyone else. Yeah. And yet we know it happens to literally everyone else, yeah. right? Grief. Um, it's such a weird, isolating, isolating experience. Um, it is. And I, I will say one of the great things about 
the workshops with CBAW is it really allowed me a safe space to write about it, particularly, I mean, I logged in on the day that we brought my dad home from the hospital to how, you know, to hospice within my parents' house so he could die at home. And I logged in and I wasn't really able to write a lot, but I needed that space. And I needed this community of writers that I knew was safe. Um, I'm going to cry just talking about it, but it was, you know, I was at a, a point emotionally where I was really overwhelmed and, but I knew that I could log on and these people would hold me up with their words and their faces and their voices. And it was okay if I just sat there and cried or if I stayed off camera. And it's been so helpful to have a space like that because particularly during a pandemic, you feel so much more isolated. And and then to have the death of someone close to you, you know, it's it's overwhelming and it's hard to deal with. But to know that every week I had this place I could turn to that would lift me up and hold me however I needed it was, I mean, honestly, it was, it was, it was life-saving in a way that I hadn't expected I would need. Um, and so it, it was just, you definitely heard a lot of the first versions of those poems, um, but it was such a necessary thing and needed thing for me at the time. Thank you so much for also the courage to be witnessed in yeah. grief, right? In a world that doesn't, necessarily value vulnerability often to have you know to show up and share your journey because I remember you were writing about calling home when you didn't know if you were going to be able to go home to to see your dad and trying to figure out how to get there and you know and sort of like um and right now we have a couple of community members who are going through some pretty serious major life events and you know and we're seeing them week by week and if there is something so valuable to, to those who are having the honor of witnessing, right? It's very. Yeah, it's, I mean, it makes you feel it's good when you need to receive it, but it's also good when you can give it because just knowing like they trust us enough to be here and, you know, sending them a message that says, I'm so glad to see your face today. It that little thing means so much to someone who's going through whatever they're going through. You know, it really just knowing somebody's there and they care, like, and knowing that you can be the person that gives that to them is it's what community is and should be. Right. I mean, yeah, it is. And it's not such a big ask actually. Right. right? Like as, as, um, as shitty as we can and can be around it, I think as a, like a broader society, it's really like people are out here doing their best to, to take care of their own lives. Really, you just need a word of encouragement of like, hey, you're not alone. Like, yeah, um, yeah, it's so knowing you're not alone is is so vital in in knowing you'll be OK, even if you're not right now. Right. Like like you said, literally everyone experiences at some point the death of a parent because someone is our everybody's parent out there and yes they've experienced it but when you're in the throes of it you feel alone but knowing that I'm not and that there are everybody out there that they'll be there on the other side and that they'll be there to catch me until I need it like it just it helps in so many ways that I never thought was possible or necessary and it turns out it absolutely is Mm. yes 
Well, thank you, because you hold the table up so, you know, so very well. I know it's a virtual table, but, <laughs> right? But like, we're all, we're all sort of holding it steady for one another. Um, yeah. With, with, with that, those private messages, with the, you know, like all of these ways that, that yeah. we show um, and it wouldn't be possible without your voice. Um, I'm excited to see this collection of poems and the and the microchap as well. And just like so in awe of all the things that you're doing. Um, it's it's just really, and then you're baking shit and sending postcards and I mean, come on. Uh, <laughs> but it's amazing. And um, we're just really grateful for you. And Thank you for talking with me. Thank you for having me. It's been lovely. Thank you so much for listening to United Against Silence. I'm Seema Reza, and I hope we see you at a workshop soon. You can see our full schedule at www.cbaw.org. We're looking forward to being in community with you.